Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you want to open up to Matthew 18. Uh, good for you to have them open there. Uh, follow along. Uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you would have noticed that what we've been doing is been doing telling, telling stories. A number of months ago, we had Nicole Linklater here who took us through a whole process of learning how to tell stories and how to tell the biblical story. Uh, and so we're going to continue that today. We're going to tell the story. We've had uh, a gentleman here in the past who's been wearing a white sheet over his head and uh, he's been telling us some of Jesus' stories. Last week we had three other people come and tell us uh, some of Jesus' stories. And this week we've got me who's going to tell you a story. We're going to do it slightly differently again. Uh, so if you've got Matthew chapter 18, uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant or the story of the unmerciful servant. And we're going to be working from verse 21. Well, uh, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, uh, you'll realise that forgiveness is a really big part of what it is to follow Jesus. And I would imagine that you'd be asking your question at different times, wouldn't you? Uh, how do I forgive? Uh, what is forgiveness? What does it look like? Uh, well, that was a question that Jesus' disciples and followers were asking as well. And uh, after Jesus had told them about a situation where someone in the followers that had an issue with someone else that they needed to go and see them one-on-one then they needed to take someone else with them and then they needed to go all together to go and sort this problem out and to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. One of the disciples, they asked the same question. So, Jesus, how much should we forgive? How many times should we forgive? Uh, the Pharisees and, that, and the teachers of the law said three, but what about if I forgive seven times? Would seven times be enough, Jesus? Well, Jesus answered him and he said, no, you need to forgive him 77 times or 70 times, seven times, Jesus said. And then he continued and he says, the kingdom of God is like this. There was a ruler of the land, uh, a person who was in control of the whole land, and he wanted to bring those that were under him together to work out his finances and to sort that out. And so he brought in his chief financial officer, to come to him to sort out and work out what was going on. And he wanted his chief financial officer to repay back all the debts that have been accrued through all the time. And that was a lot of money. So much money that if he didn't repay him back, then he'd have to sell up his whole family, his house, his belongings and everything else to get back and pay this debt. It was huge. It could have been something around about the $10 million mark or even more. That's how big it was. He'd have to sell up his house, his boat, his car. He'd almost have to sell up all his family's possessions as well. Well, the chief financial officer came to the, the ruler of the land and he begged him. He said, please, don't make me pay this. He got on his knees. He got down, please, trust me with this. I will pay you back later. Well, the ruler of the land looked at him and said, looked at him with compassion. And mercy. It says your debt's cleared. You don't owe me anything. You're free to go. Well, the chief financial officer went out of that room after that and thought, this is fantastic. But as he went down the hall, he thought, mate, I, I need to get money back myself. There's a person in my accounting crew. He hasn't paid me a hundred bucks. So he went in, he went into the office, he grabbed the bloke by the throat, shoved him up against the wall and said, you need to pay me back that hundred bucks you owe me. His accountant got down on his knees and he begged him. He says, please, no, I'll pay it back, I'll pay it back. But the chief financial officer said, no, 
you pay it back now or no good. He couldn't pay it back. He says, you're off to jail. I'm going to get the jail in, I'm going to get the police in, and they're going to take you to jail. Well, a little while after that, uh, the rest of the accountant, accountants, the, all the other accountants in that firm at the time, heard about what this uh, chief financial officer had done, and so they went to the ruler of the land, and they told the ruler of the land what he'd done. Well, the ruler of the land was angry as. He was really, really annoyed. And so he brought the chief financial officer back in. He said, you were not merciful when I was merciful for you. I showed you mercy, but you didn't show mercy to this. For that, I'm sending you to jail and your whole family to jail. And not only are you going to go to jail, but you're going to be tortured for that as well. Jesus said, this is what will happen to you if you do not forgive your brother and sister." From the heart. There you go. Uh, slightly changed up version of uh, the unforgiving servant. You would have seen it there. Uh, how about you tell me now, what do you think is the main point of that parable? What's the main point of the story? What was happening there? Who can tell us? Yeah, so there's forgiveness, isn't it? It's the big theme of this parable, isn't it? It's the forgiveness, the picture of forgiveness. And uh, what else was there? Mercy, compassion. Uh, what else did we see? A heart issue, wasn't it? So Jesus uh, takes it right to not just the outside, but he says you've got to forgive someone from the heart, doesn't he? Uh, and so who do you think the people in the story are? Who are the people in the story? Who's the landowner or the ruler of the land? It's God, isn't it? God who controls everything, rules everything. He's the ruler of everything. Uh, he's the one there that's there. Uh, and who are, who's the chief financial officer and all the rest? They're us, aren't they? Uh, and so what he's talking about is that the, this was this huge debt. Now, the debt that he, the guy probably had, I said it was $10 million. Some people think it might have been into the billions in comparison to what it was. It's almost like the chief financial officer had maybe done some shonky deals and almost put the whole land in trouble, in debt, maybe like Greece at the moment where uh, everything's basically in trouble because of what's gone on underneath. This chief financial officer has basically put the ruler's land in jeopardy. And so that's the big debt. So this is a huge debt. This is probably a debt that this bloke could probably never, ever repay, but would probably chip away at to try and pay it off. But he can't do it. So the only person who can do anything about it is the ruler of the land. And he wipes out the whole lot. And that's a picture of us, isn't it? It's a picture of us with God. You know, our lives, what we do in our lives, the things that we do in our lives, we don't do the perfect things. And if we were to do the things that God desired us to do, we can't do that. And we keep falling short and it keeps getting worse, keeps being big to the point that we cannot pay back that debt. All we can do is fall on our knees in mercy before God. And in God's mercy to us for the huge debt that we have against him, he pays it off with Jesus. He wipes our debt away. He forgives us everything that we've done wrong in Jesus. It's a huge debt. It's a debt that we could never repay. But that's not just the story, is it? Because the story is not just about the debt that's been paid by Jesus for us, but the actual main point of the story is that we should be forgiving as God is forgiving to us. That's the big point of the story, isn't it? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at, well, why is forgiveness so crucial? We're going to look at how, can we, how do we forgive? Uh, 
So why is forgiveness so crucial? We're going to see what forgiveness is and then we're going to see how we can forgive. They're the three things we're going to look at this morning. So why is forgiveness so crucial? Uh, well, remember that Jesus is telling the stories to his followers. So he's talking to the people who know him and love him and have been following for a long period of time. So he's actually talking to us as followers of Jesus. He's not talking to the people outside the world at the moment. He's talking about as we are together. And he's saying that if we are followers of Jesus, if we are part of his community, then we are to be known as people who forgive. A distinctive of us is that we forgive. That's what he's saying about you and I. And he's saying it's so crucial. Look at what he says in verse 20, uh, right at the end there, 35 and 36. He says, In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. That is supposed to shock you. That is supposed to rock you to the core. That is supposed to say, man, can I do that? If I follow Jesus, then I am to forgive people from the heart. Everybody. And if we don't, then we're in trouble with what he says up the back. Then we'll be thrown out. It's a big call, isn't it? It's supposed to rock us to say how big this forgiveness, how crucial it is if we follow Jesus that we are to be people who forgive. Now, just there is a little bit we need to be careful here, isn't it? It's not saying that we are saved by forgiving, but a fruit of salvation is forgiveness. The fruit of salvation is forgiveness. Let me illustrate that for you. We're going to flick up two trees for you on the, the screen for you now. Uh, they're mango trees. At the moment, it's spring. Uh, mangoes are about to come out, aren't they? If you look around, they're starting to flower on all the different ones. And, and they look great when they, when they do come. And they taste pretty good for those who like mangoes. I don't. But uh, some people say they're really nice. Uh, but if we look at a mango tree and we see two mango trees, we've got two in the yard, okay? The one there, it's got lots of fruit on it. Uh, we think that's healthy, don't we? But the one on the other side, it's got no fruit on it. So we either think it's diseased or it's dying or something's not quite right. Now, both those are there, aren't they? And the fruit tree, the one that looks good, that's the one which we're thinking about should be there. But we've got to remember that the fruit doesn't give the tree life. The fruit is an indication that the tree has life. Okay? So the fruit on the other tree doesn't say that, it's, that, it, is, that it is life, that it's there, and the non-fruit tells us, doesn't say that it doesn't have life, but what it's saying is it's an evidence of life. Okay? So it doesn't give it life, fruit doesn't give life to the tree, but fruit is evidence of life to the tree. And so forgiveness is evidence that we have the life of Jesus within us that we have truly grasped what Jesus has done for us. We have truly grasped the enormity of the forgiveness that we have in him that we are to be forgiving. And if we don't have that, then we're in trouble of going to prison, aren't we? And we actually literally become prisoners of our bitterness and our unforgiveness, don't we? If you don't realise that, then you'll become prisoner and you become tortured and you get forgiving and you become bitter and you get angry and it just dwells in and it becomes cyclical and it ends up destroying you. You become a prisoner to this. Someone says, bitterness is the pill you take expecting someone else to die. 
Bitterness is the pill that you take expecting someone else to die. It doesn't work, does it? It brings in, it tortures us. It's destructive. And what it does is if unforgiveness, it makes us feel self-righteous, doesn't it? Because we start to think that we're better than other people. We start to think that we've got it all sorted out and they don't. We start to think that we've got self-pity. It all runs in on us. It's anger on us. It keeps coming down and revenge. And what you start looking like is more like Satan than Jesus. If we're unforgiving, if that twists and turns on the inside of us, it comes out in ways where we want revenge and hurt and destruction and we start looking more like Satan than Jesus. You see, there's no better sign that we've been given life in Jesus than if we show forgiveness. That's what he's saying to us. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And if you go into Matthew 6 and get to the end of Matthew 6, after that prayer it says, if you don't forgive, then God won't forgive you. That's how serious it is. The fruit of us understanding how much God has forgiven us as we follow Jesus is seen in how we forgive others. That's how crucial it is. So what is forgiveness? That's why it's crucial. What is forgiveness? Well, uh, if you had been here for the last year or so, last year in 2012, we did a whole uh, talk on forgiveness itself. If you want to go back and find that, you'll see a whole lot of things there about what forgiveness looks like. But we're going to take the passage, because I think the passage helps us today to go in, because what the ruler of the land is, or the king, is what does he do? Look at there down in verse 26 and 27. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. The master looked at him, had pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. I reckon they're three great principles of forgiveness, aren't they? So the first one is he had pity on him. So flick down the screen, guys, one more. When we see the word pity, often in the Bible it's the word's compassion. And when we see that word in the Bible, we see it a lot about Jesus. He shows compassion to people. We've seen in the last couple of stories that we've looked at, haven't we? Last week in the lost son, the, the, the father had compassion on the son. In the prodigal son, uh, in the, sorry, the, um, the one on the road. Good Samaritan, there you go. <laughs> the good Samaritan... Uh, the Samaritan has compassion, has pity. He looks at him. And when we looked at it a few weeks ago when we had the whole Compassion Sunday, we found out that what compassion means, compassion means it's from the heart. It's saying that inside you are moved to help somebody, to do the best for someone. Uh, the picture is almost like you take your heart and put it into their heart and to see what they're having and what they're going through. That you feel it with them that you understand what's going on and you have compassion for them. And that's the picture here. That what's happened is that the, the, the ruler, the, the king, has looked at this and he's had compassion. His heart's gone out to him. His heart's gone out there and says, I'll forgive you. It's that sense of empathising with, that sense of seeking to see what's best for the other person. And that's what love is, isn't it? 
And if we don't do that, if we don't take our heart out and put it into someone else's heart and we just see what they've done wrong, then we actually narrow that person down to just what they've done wrong, don't we? Oh, I'm really annoyed with that person. They just lie all the time. Lie, 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 lie. That's all they do. He's just a complete liar. Well, have you ever lied before? Yeah, I have. Well, have you? well I've done it a few times. Well, but there were extenuating circumstances for that. You know, I had to do it. You know, if I hadn't have done that, then it wouldn't have worked properly. You see, compassion putting our heart in someone else's says that we understand that you and I, that we too can do the same. In circumstances and situations, we too can do the same as what someone has done to us. We realise that we're no better than them. We're not narrowing them down just into a caricature. Have you ever had one of those caricatures done? You know, when you walk around Sydney, sometimes you see these people doing these little portraits and pictures and uh, they'll do a cartoon character of that. It's really dangerous when you do that, by the way. Because what they do is they look at your facial features and then they pick up on one part of it and then they exaggerate it, don't they? It may be your nose or your ears or your hair or your eyes and they make that as a source all about that, isn't it? Highlights in on that. And you see, that's what we do when we're unforgiving. We highlight into on just that one thing about them and that's all we see in them. And they're always a liar or they always cheat or they always do that or they always hurt me. But they don't always do that, do they? There is far much more to people than that and there's far much more to you. The rule of the king looks at this guy and has compassion for him. You see, the first step in forgiveness is for us to have compassion on the person who may have hurt us. We take our heart, place it in theirs and realise where they're at in their life. And we realise that we're no better than they are. And they're no better than us, that we are the same. That we are people who need forgiveness, each and every one of us. So compassion is the first step in uh, forgiveness. We need to have compassion on those around us that have hurt us or done wrong to us. Uh, The second part there, he says, doesn't he? He says, uh, took pity on him and he cancelled the debt. That's huge, isn't it? Uh, This debt that this guy had was phenomenal. Wipes it out. And do you know who that costs? That costs the person who forgives, doesn't it? You see, forgiveness costs. Forgiveness is not easy. It costs. And it costs the person who forgives. You see, God forgives us. But it costs him dearly. It cost him his son. It cost him Jesus nailed on the cross, going through the agony and uh, destruction and that separation from his father for you and I. It cost God huge amount, more than we can possibly imagine. And it will cost us too to forgive someone. Uh, If someone breaks something in your house and destroys the chair uh, and you say, no, you don't have to pay, the person who's whose chair that's broken, he pays, it costs them, doesn't it? Or if someone hurts you and it hurts you on the internal, they might have said something or done something to you and you forgive them, it, it, it still hurts, doesn't it? It costs, it costs us because we're going to have to relieve them of that debt. Not going to want to take anything. They don't owe us anything at the end of it. When we give forgiveness, it's complete. 
wiped out. No more. So it's not easy. It does cost. It is hard. But it does give us freedom, doesn't it? And the other part of it is, is, is to let them go. And he says, let him go. So what forgiveness does, it says, I've had compassion on them. You put your heart in theirs. You say, no more. You don't owe me anything for that anymore. I'm going to bear the cost for that wrong. And then it says, I'm going to allow you to go off and live without owing me anymore. I'm going to set you free within that. Next one down, guys. You see... It's like we want to hold on. It's actually letting go. Unforgiveness holds on, doesn't it? It's clenched fist. It's tight. It's horrible. It destroys. It holds us and it embitters us. Forgiveness lets go and opens our hand and allows us to love again. Unforgiveness is a closed, clenched fist. Forgiveness is an open hand. It says you're free to go. It's huge, isn't it? But we always need to remember that that's what Jesus, what God has done for us in Jesus. His open hands are to us and welcomes us home. It says you were dead, but now you're alive. You're lost, but now you're found. Well, what isn't unforgiveness? What forgiveness, un- what forgiveness isn't? I uh, just wanted to put this in here because sometimes uh, this isn't actually in the passage specifically in one sense, but it's there a little bit. Uh, sometimes we think there's, there's, there's a whole lot of things that we think, well, maybe forgiveness is this, but I don't think some of it is. So forgiveness isn't uh, the absence of anger. Uh, the king was angry, wasn't he? He wasn't happy. Uh, he'd been dealt the wrong thing. He felt that. And so the absence of anger doesn't ultimately mean that there's, uh, the forgiveness is there. Anger can still be there and it can still be right. There is a righteous anger. There is a time to be rightfully angry. Uh, and that doesn't mean that there's an absence of serious consequences either. That even though we may let go, uh, someone may actually have to go to jail for what's happened. Justice may well need to be served on someone, depending on what has been done. So if things have been done that are that serious and that those consequences, that needs to be there. So it doesn't mean that justice doesn't have to be served. And someone said, what about if someone's unrepentant? Do we need to forgive them if they're unrepentant? Well, the Bible doesn't actually say a whole lot about the unrepentant. Whenever you see forgiveness in the Bible, it's about someone who gets on their knees and begs and it's repentant. The people change and they turn and forgiveness is given. Uh, if you go back a little bit in the passage, you'll see if you read the one before, it's when a brother has heard us. Then you go to them and you seek forgiveness and you seek repentance. And if they, if they do repent, then you do forgive. And Jesus says it, doesn't he? If he comes back, you forgive him again. And you forgive him again, even if they keep doing it. If they repent and come back, you keep forgiving them. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say a lot about unrepentance. Apart in that passage just before it says, if they don't repent, then it says, treat them like a tax collector or a sinner. And now we need to be careful about that because sometimes we think that means, well, we just ostracise them, kick them out. What does Jesus do with tax collectors and sinners? He loves them. He sits down and he works with them, doesn't he? And so even though someone may be unrepentant, we are still to love them and desire reconciliation. It may not be complete. If someone doesn't repent, then it may not be able to, you're able to continue, completely restore that relationship, but we are still to love them 
and still desire for them to see that and still desire for forgiveness for them and for them to repent of that. And the last one is that there's no automatic trust. Uh, when someone has hurt us and we give forgiveness, doesn't mean that we automatically trust them. Trust is earned. Trust is something that needs to be rebuilt. And we desire that and we want that, but it's something that needs to be rebuilt. It's not an automatic thing. So what is forgiveness? It's having compassion. Uh, it's taking, releasing them of debt, taking the debt yourself, and it's letting them go. It isn't the removal of anger. It isn't the removal of justice. It isn't the removal of continuing to love them, even though they may not be unrepentant. And it isn't the automatic reaffirming of trust. So how do we do that? How do we forgive? How can we do that? Well, we put in, try to put into practice the things that we do there, but I think the first thing we need to do is we do that together as a community. Click down, guys. Because if we see back in the story just beforehand, if you read that a little bit earlier, you'll see that when one person goes and seeks reconciliation and that doesn't happen, then you go with two people and you seek reconciliation together. If that doesn't happen, then you take a group of people to seek reconciliation. It's a community thing that together we are to work at being forgiving. Together we are to help one another to forgive. Together we are to do that. That together as we sit down and talk with one another, we can work through forgiveness together. It's not just by ourselves. It's not just that we have to do it, but together we can do that as a community. Uh, and secondly, we need to have the compassion of the king, don't we? And the only way that we can have the compassion of the king is we have to have the power of the king within us. And the power of the king within us is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us that power to forgive. And what does the Holy Spirit help us with that power? What the Holy Spirit, he keeps pointing us back to the cross, back to the beauty of our king, back to the amazing grace of our king who gave up everything for you and I. The king who showed us unimaginable mercy and grace when we didn't deserve it. When we grasp how phenomenal that is, then God transforms us by the power of his spirit to become people who forgive. How do we do it? Through community. How do we do it? Through the power of the spirit as it keeps pointing us back to Jesus and the beauty of his forgiveness for you and I. I want to tell you a story to finish off with this morning. It's a story of uh, Corrie Ten Boone. Some of you might know. Uh, she wrote a book and uh, her and her family used to help uh, the Jewish community in Germany during World War II and they used to actually help them to escape. So they had a house, they'd hide them in their basement and then they'd help them escape from uh, the Nazi regime during the war years. Uh, at one point in time they got captured so both Corey and her sister Betty were captured by the Nazis and they were sent to a, a, to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. At Ravensbrück Betty died through what happened there but Corey survived. Uh, Corey was a Christian, uh, her family were a Christian and, and she continued on with her faith when she went uh, from there on and after that when she got out and through the rest of her life she ran around telling people about the grace of Jesus, about how he was the one that sustained her and kept her and got her through those concentration camps. And so she used to go around the world speaking. 
And uh, one time she went back to Germany and she was there speaking about Jesus and telling the gospel. And at the end of the time that she did, uh, she spoke and at the end of the meeting, uh, she saw that people were coming up to her and they were wanting up to speak to her and say things to her. And then as she was looking down the line, she froze. There down the line was one of the officers from Ravensbrook, one of the worst of them. And she had memories flashing back as he watched people go through the gas chamber, as he molested and did horrible and disgusting things to people that Corey knew. And this man was in the line and she started to sweat and she started to think, how can I do, what am I going to do here? And he came up to her and he was in the line and he stuck his hand out to her and he said, fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Corey didn't take his hand to start with. She fumbled round thinking, what do I do? How do I do? What goes on here? Uh, she, she knew him, but obviously he didn't recognise her and that's probably quite... He would have had thousands go past him and she was just one of those. She was only a faceless prisoner among many. Then he said to her, you were at Ravensbrook. I was an officer there as well. But since then I've become a Christian and I've found the grace and the mercy of God. And all the cruel things I've done, I know that God has forgiven me. But Fraulein, I would love to know that you have forgiven me. How could she after all that happened? Her hand wouldn't move. But she knew that the Lord wanted her to forgive him. She cried inside. She said, Jesus, help me. I can't lift my, I can lift my hand, but you're going to have to do the rest. So she woodenly and mechanically raised her hand and took his. However she did this, she experienced a phenomenal sense of God's forgiveness and love just flowing through her. This is what she said. She writes, I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then I realised it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled me. Biblical forgiveness. Click down one, guys. Wonderful in magnitude, glorious to experience, stunning to be part of, and awesome to witness. May we be people who have not only experienced forgiveness, but also give forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's an amazing story that we've read. It's a story about you you and us, you and me. It's a story of my debt that I could never repay, but that you've forgiven me and wiped out my sin. That your compassion went out to me and your son Jesus who hung on the cross and took the punishment that I deserved. It cost you more than I can possibly imagine, Lord, so that I could be set free to live for you so that we could be set free to live for you, Lord, so that we could be set free to forgive others. 
Lord, we cry out to you now, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by the power of Jesus, Lord, that you will make us people who are forgivers. That we will be known for the forgiveness that we give to each other and to those who've hurt us who aren't here, Lord. By the power of your spirit, Lord, enable us to be people who forgive 70 times 7. Eternally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.